My name is M. Jason Graham, and this is the M. Jason Graham Show. People with Disabilities, Invisible Communities, Part 3. Part of the controversy with the term disability is the stigma and the classification. I have to admit, when I think of a disabled person, the first image that comes to mind is someone in a wheelchair. This is due to the fact that popular media has been pushing this associative narrative for almost a hundred years. The reality is that most of us are suffering from some mild or conditional form of disability and often refuse to even acknowledge it, in part because we don't fit that particular stereotype. Well. Today's guests, that's right, plural. Today's guests are Ms. Risa Rifkin and Ms. Alex Perez Garcia. They are from Advancing Leadership, a civil rights organization that actively builds support systems and coalitions around equal access and equal outcomes for people with disabilities. As usual, I can be reached by emailing dmjgshow at mjgstorycreation.com. And now, Ms. Risa Rifkin and Ms. Alex Perez Garcia. Ms. Risa Rifkin and Ms. Alex Perez Garcia, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. Uh, this is Lisa. I'm so happy to be here. And this is Alex. Uh, likewise, I'm super excited to start this conversation. So, Risa, if if you would tell us a little bit about your background. Sure, happy to. So, um, I mean, my background should be as long as the age of which I am. But, you know, in short, uh, I am a uh, brown woman with a physical disability that I was born with. Um, I'm actually originally from Brooklyn, New York, so I am a transplant to Chicago. Um, and, you know, I think all of my upbringing and who I am feeds into the work that I do. I'm extremely passionate about having our leaders represent who we are as people and growing up as you know, a little person who is a woman of color, you know, I really didn't see leaders that looked like me. And so that has brought me to the work that I do now with advancing leadership. Okay. And Alex, uh, same question. Could you give us a little bit about your background? Yeah, happy to. Um, I'm also a brown woman, daughter of Peruvian immigrants um, who immigrated here uh, in the 90s um, and have lived all over the U.S. but currently reside in Chicago um, where Advancing Leadership is headquartered and have lived here for almost a decade and so I guess you could call me a Chicagoan now. Um, my identity, my personal identity in addition to being a Latinx woman is I identify through my ex with with disability through my experience with mental illness. Um, it's been an ongoing journey for me um, since uh, 
adolescent age through college and now into young adulthood to really accept and embrace this part of my identity and interrogate what that means to me and how that influences how I lead, how I, um, how I join teams in, in the workspace and also how I build community on a personal and professional level. Um, so my background, um, my identity background is that, but um, also bring to the table um, a lot of experience in fundraising and communication. And then that kind of leads to the work that I do directly with advancing leadership, um, which I know we're going to talk about today. Okay. And, and speaking of that, with advancing leadership, could you, uh, Risa, if you could give us a little bit of background on what your position within the organization and then what what needs it fills. Sure, so just to put into context, um, advancing leadership's vision is that people with disabilities will lead with power and influence. And we have a network of 170 leaders with disabilities, diverse disabilities, of diverse races, gender, sexual orientation, and more. And my specific title is I'm the director of civic engagement and marketing, which means that I get to have the pleasure of supporting our members in their leadership journeys by making connections for our members to leadership opportunities in the civic landscape. Now we look at that super broadly and whether that be a professional advancement, uh, a public service board on a city, county, state, national level, nonprofit board service and more. Um, also on the marketing side, you know, I work uh, on our internal and external communication. Um, and so that's, that's my role. I think it's also worth noting that I was also a 2017 fellow, which means I'm a member myself of Advancing Leadership. Okay. Uh, Alex, could you tell us about your role within the company? Yeah, I'm happy to. And I, I forgot to mention earlier that I'm also a member of the organization. I'm a 2020 fellow, um, so not this year, but the, the previous year um, of advancing leadership and went through the Leadership Institute um, fellowship program and um, really had a great experience. Um, my current role at advancing leadership as staff is associate director of development and communication. Um, and what that entails is working with Risa very closely on, on outreach, communication, and marketing. Risa and I have been working together, I was reflecting the other day, since 2016, which is so long um, <laughs> now thinking back. But it's, it's honestly been uh, an amazing experience, professional experience, full of lots of opportunities for growth. Um, but my role right now, as it's evolved, is really focused on um, development and fundraising and working very closely with our executive director um, and board of directors to scale the organization and to um, think of creative strategies to uh, fundraise, whether it be through individual fundraising or institutional fundraising. Um, we know that in order to achieve our mission, we need um, funds to bring it to scale. So that's that's the main um, the, uh, primary focus of my day-to-day -day role um, at Advancing Leadership. Okay. Well, 
Alex, I'll, I'll start with you. Could you give us a definition for disability? Yeah, and I'm actually really excited that I keep on using the word excited um, that we're talking about this because it's a question that gets asked a lot, especially as Risa and I in um, now in a virtual environment, but in past years, we would literally go around the city of Chicago doing pitches to tell people about the work of advancing leadership and how they can join our network. Um, it's a question we get a lot. And I think that it's important to talk about because the disability is so vast. So at advancing leadership, we define disability in the broadest sense of the word, um, borrowing from borrowing from the legal framework of the ADA, uh, we adopt that broadest sense of disability. And what we say is disability disabilities can be visible, invisible, or acquired. So it can range from visible disabilities, um, such as individuals who you may use um, a wheelchair or a walker, to invisible disabilities, um, such as myself with mental illness or, or um, any other type of chronic illness um, to acquire disabilities uh, that can occur at any point in your life, such as um, cancer survivors um, or people who may be um, dealing with addiction and, and, and the recovery process around that. I think that by setting that framework at the beginning of our conversations around disability um, in that broadest sense, it really brings home the tenant that disability is a natural part of the human experience. It touches every single part of our lives um, and our families. And that means it needs to be considered in every part of our civic lives, of our professional lives. Um, beyond the personal, it should be considered and in, 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 in thought of in all those aspects. And so, um, yeah, when we define disability, we try to think of it in those broad um, terms because uh, the community that we we are actively creating through advancing leadership is not about, you know, pushing people out, but rather asking people to come to come in and learn more either about themselves or ways that um, they can learn from the work of disability rights and disability justice leaders that have come before them. Risa, I don't know if you have anything else to add about the, def about the definition and even just how we we as a team, as a community, um, think about disability. I think you did a great job of summarizing a very complex issue that, you know, we're continuously iterating for that very reason of inviting people in. You know, we are really passionate and believe firmly that this is a group of people who want to self-identify as having a disability. We do not, you know, ask or documentation or anything like that. It really is, is this an identity that you would like to call your own? And so, you know, what that looks like can be very different from person to person. A lot of people join our network and go through the Institute, the Leadership Institute, um, 
only just then identifying as a person with a disability and starting that journey for themselves and exploring what that identity means for them. So, Lisa, how does your organization build coalitions and influence for the disability community? That's a, that's a great question. And, you know, I think there's a lot that goes into building that coalition and, you know, creating spaces to make that influence possible. It, we believe that there are people with disabilities out there who, if they're not already leaders, should be leading, should be leaders. And so our role is really just to provide spaces for them to explore what leadership could look like for them, equip them with any of the skills that they might find helpful. Um, and then really, you know, I know, you know, probably we all know that the power of networking to advance anywhere is about creating connections. And so the, the way that we can provide connections and networking for our members, you know, influences how quickly our members can take on those leadership positions. What it really gets to though, is creating a more just and equitable society. We believe that our perspectives are valuable and in order to make change, we need to hold the power to do so. Um, and I think a natural, I think there's a lot of definitions specifically, you asked about coalition. I think there's a lot of definitions for what coalition look like. I think our network that has, you know, the 170 leaders could be viewed as a coalition as if a group of people around a common goal. And that goal, again, is to create a more just and equitable society to bring forward disability leadership and to actively make change. So we provide spaces to do that, events to connect around, bring forward leaders, to share with our network what they are doing and how our members can jump in and participate. And then also by creating spaces that actually make those connections. And we have a couple of different programs that specifically provide those connections and networking, including something called Board Lead, which connects our members to nonprofit board. We have a structured system that is continuously being more structured around public service leadership that intentionally looks at our public sector and what leadership positions are crucial for our members to hold and how do we get our members into them. Um, Alex, am I forgetting anything? No, if the only thing I would add is to dig deep on the um, concept of network. Um, we, as a professional organization um, for leaders with disabilities, talk a lot about networking. And oftentimes it is in the context of, you know, the traditional paradigms of networking, you know, um, to advance in your job, to advance in your career, whatnot. But more recently, especially as we as an organization and as staff have reflected on, you know, the learnings of 2020, um, we realized that our power is in our network and our ability to convene and convene leaders across the identity spectrum and across the um, 
the the different sectors in the Chicago region and I mean even nationally um, to think about the intersectional issues that um, affect the disability community but then also other communities um, so we talk a lot about disability justice but then also in that same sentence in that same breath uh, racial justice and the importance for disability and racial justice uh, to be inextricably linked because if you are trying to, um, you know, convene people to talk about um, how you can build a world that is more just and equitable and accessible, um, you have to look at it from a racial justice lens, of course, um, but you also have to look at it from a disability justice lens. Um, and I think that the way we convene and build power, sorry, the way that we build power is through the power of convening different thought leaders in that way to have those conversations. Um, for example, in addition to running our programs, our traditional leadership programs, we last year convened for the first time um, an annual um, forum on disability and racial justice and brought in amazing speakers and thought leaders in the space to really talk about that issue and talk about how it affects our policies, how it affects our workplaces, how it affects our just day-to-day -day lives. Um, and there's real interest in continuing that conversation. And so as staff, we have a vested interest in um, making sure that that continues and that is part of our work going forward. Okay, well, one word that we hear a lot, and it's not quite a buzzword yet, but it's it's synonymous with diversity. It's become synonymous with, synonymous with it, uh, and that's allyship. And so what would you say, you know, is the role of an ally? Uh, Risa. Right. You know, I think allies can be really powerful and contribute to our greater goals by sharing in the responsibility of helping to inform when spaces are not including people with disabilities, right? So if an ally, and to me, an ally means someone who does not identify, in our work, is someone who does not identify as having a disability, but wants to bring forward disability inclusion, disability justice. And so what that looks like is that, in my opinion, an ally would be, okay, I'm at work or I'm at my board meeting or I'm at, you know, my kids' uh, education, like school meeting, looking around the room and saying, are we talking about disability in our conversation? Are there people here who identify as having a disability and are we in, like making space for all for that like diversity lens, that disability lens to be applied. You know, I think in our work too, allies are really important in helping to make connections. So I talked about our role is helping our members to move forward in leadership positions. And so we rely on allies in those spaces to say, hey, I am part of this board. Uh, do you have someone you can connect me to who has a disability, who's in your network, because all of our members have a disability, uh, who would be passionate about what our nonprofit focuses on? 
right? And so I think it's the ability for allies to use their voice and power and their own influence to then say, you know what, I need to step back and make space for someone with a disability to come in if they're not already there. You know, I think it also is helpful in spaces where there might be people with disabilities that we're not only relying on people with disabilities to talk about disability issues. So of course, you know, we rely on allies to let people with disabilities lead the conversation that are about disability, but it is up to an ally to support that conversation too. And so that can look like a range of things from, you know, verbal support to, you know, emotional support, because sometimes it is emotional labor that is put out by people with disabilities when they are the only one in the room, right? And so I think there's a lot of opportunities. One thing that's really unique for advancing leadership that is really at our core is that um, our network is exclusively for people with disabilities, and that is crucial um, that we hold and maintain that space because we are the only ones who are creating that space. And so, but we need our allies in the external spaces to further our work. This is Alex and yeah, I just, I completely agree, um, Risa, with what you said. I have not much to add other than we get this question a lot. Again, similar to the disability question asking first, divine disability, then, oh, well, what about allies? Um, and, and really honing in on that on that, that last point that um, advancing leadership, this is the only program of its kind in the nation. And, and that's, uh, that is actively creating a powerful network of positive disruptors with disabilities who want to lead change in their communities. And um, that level of community is linked to these individual identities of the entire network. And so it's super important to, you know, to, to, to keeping that community space um, for us to remain disability led and, and, dis and, and, you know, to make sure that all the voices of our members are included in um, the different parts of our programming. Um, Something that that we've been talking about is it's it's super important for for the since the inception of the program it's been led by and founded by um, disability leaders and so um, given that it's been a crucial part of the founding and the evolution of the program that that will remain as a core tenant of the the, the program and allies should should be invited to learn and attend events and you know seek out information and education around disability that is encouraged um, and that is the role of an ally to educate yourself but in, in, ter in terms of creating community space especially community around the shared identity of disabilities that's so important um, for advancing leadership and our work we're going to take a break we'll be right back how many of you got around to writing this year you know that short film about your uncle's affair with a jazz musician in Harlem, summer of 1932, or a new Christmas musical to replace that tired cantata that puts everyone to sleep every year. 
Or maybe you're an actor who is sick of being cast as the drug-addicted, single-parent, recently incarcerated, or any other stereotype that is lazy shorthand for diversity. And you've decided, I'm doing Hamlet, but in the Matrix. To sleep, perchance to dream. Or maybe you just have this dope concept that's been keeping you up at night, and you need to flatten the edges before you show it to your cousin's director friend. Then it sounds like my discovery and development course is right for you. This is a six-week course where, for one hour a week, I walk you through the elements of story. That would be message, character, action, and conflict. I offer you feedback in real time and give you the opportunity to craft a meaningful story with unique, relatable characters whose journeys will entertain your audience for years to come. For an assessment and consultation, go to mjgstorycreation.com or click the link in the show notes. Until then, happy writing. And now, back to the podcast. So, given the scope of disability, what does it look like to build a support system for those with disabilities today? Alex? Yeah. I think that that is a really good um, but complex question, like, especially in a current moment where we are still, you know, you know, hopefully we're seeing the end of a pandemic right now, but um, we're, as a country, we're still reeling with the effects of the COVID-19 pandemic, and we're still dealing with a very complicated and, if I can say, personally ableist rollout of the vaccine. I think that's um, fair. And so, I, I was I was going to say I I I think that's <laughs> I think that's fair. I think that we've seen some a little bit of advancement with the deaf and hard of hearing community actually standing out and saying, look, we're not getting the information that we need. Um, and that because of that, there's been a, a, a spotlight put on them. But I've seen that step forward, but I haven't seen any of the other intersections in the disability community addressed in such a comprehensive manner. Yeah, and I think that that if you go and just try to analyze it at a policy level, and uh, we could probably spend all day talking about case examples of where the disability community has been left out of these like crucial policy decisions. But I do, I do appreciate you bringing up that example of advocacy specifically in the deaf and hard of hearing community um, around information access as it pertains to um, the COVID. 19 vaccine and then even before that just um uh, just around the like mask up campaign um we definitely saw that in our membership particularly there being a lot of advocacy in, in health and hospital systems to um, use the clear masks the 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 clear deaf and hard of hearing friendly masks so that there is communication access in health and hospital settings we've seen that advocacy transcend to the city level, at the very least, in the city of Chicago, um, so that uh, those masks are used in settings like that to provide communication access. And, you know, I think that 
I'm, I'm glad that that has been highlighted at a national level, but what we've also seen, and actually our executive director wrote about this in, um, in a Medium article recently, is that the, the whole pandemic has also shown the vastness of the disability community and how, especially in, in you know, the different ways you can or cannot qualify um, for a vaccine, depending on the state, depending on the county, again, getting into all these complex um, systems, it's shown that individuals with disabilities are out there and are wanting to advocate for themselves and, and their own livelihoods. And, and I, I really do hope that as we look past this, echoing our exec, her ex executive director's point that people feel empowered to remember this moment and remember that they are part of a broad community that is fighting for access for everyone and, and making that connection. I think that, you know, you've seen various coalitions. The, the one that, that comes to mind immediately in terms of like getting national visibility is the high risk California campaign. It was a digital campaign. Um, that I saw. There was also there was also campaigns that happened in Illinois to again include people with disabilities as part of the earlier phases. And that advocacy is always going to happen. And and where you start to build power is when you start seeing more and more leaders and just everyday people and citizens who identify with disabilities. You know, in any in any way realize that my access to something is tied to your access to something and we can really do something here if we come together and and fight for equal access for everyone and you 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 saw that with the vaccine again because people were kind of directed towards towards a similar goal but i really do hope that in post pandemic when we think about different issues as they intersect with the disability community we can maintain that level of energy and enthusiasm and just interest in these issues. I hope it's not just like a flash in the pan moment where it's like, oh yeah, remember when everybody was talking about how important this is? I really hope that this is part of the greater moment where it's like people are evolving their thinking, evolving the way they think about spaces and the way they think about what does true inclusion and accessibility mean. Risa, I don't know if you have anything to add. <laughs> you know, I think that we often, like, think about support systems and people with disabilities or, like, a like as a society, as a very, like, uh, patriarchal kind of concept, right, that we need to, like, take care of people with disabilities and, like, support them. But really, I think what you're getting at, Alex, is that we just need systems to not be so broken so that we have access and equity to things that we are a community, you know, who wants to, and most of us are, and a lot of us aren't, but who dream of living an independent life and full choices and options. And so in order to get to that point, it's really changing the way that we look at support, you know, and um, advanced leadership is an example um, we are not a direct service organization, which is traditionally how people with disabilities have been supported. Direct service organizations are crucial and needed, and we 
so appreciative. Like, we need them to, to do the work that we're doing. But it's about taking that next step, you know, and looking at where else are people with disabilities not having access. And so that we get at that next step, that next level of conversation. So I'd like for you to you guys to do a thoughts experiment with me. And I'd like to know, if we were to build a new city from scratch, what should be considered to make it an all-inclusive for those with disabilities? Uh, Risa, I'll start with you. Okay, so if you were building a new city, what, if we're building a new city from scratch, what would, what would she, bah, sorry, what should we consider in making it all inclusive for those with disabilities? If I were to build a new city, you know, and start from the beginning, I would change uh, who is traditionally making that city. So when we look at people with disabilities, I think it's really important to acknowledge you know, like Alice and I get in the beginning of this, uh, of our conversation, that we are both people with disabilities, but we also have other identities. So we're both women of color, right? And so when we look at building a new city that does all of this better, I would say it's super important to let the city planners, the urban designers, the, who we're gonna elect and have run, office to run this city, make sure they are representative of who lives in that city. And so what we know is that people with disabilities uh, are diverse in disabilities, so we need to have representation in those designers and those public officials and those candidates of different types of disabilities, from invisible, visible, acquired, to making sure that they also are people of color with disabilities, making sure that they are also are diverse in gender and sexual orientation and race and more because we are intersectional in our identities. And so by changing who is designing and then running a city from the beginning, I think would have enormous impact in terms of the infrastructure. Everything from what we were talking about before of what those systems are developed to look like and what support systems, if we will, are there to making sure that there is critical access in the city, to making sure that there is language access in the city as well, to make sure that there's all kinds of access that we see, you know, so Alice mentioned the clear map uh, a few moments ago for the vaccine rollout. Um, I'm super happy that those are part of our work today. But in my imaginary city, that wouldn't necessarily be something that has to be fought for because people who would be rolling out the entire system of a vaccine rollout would have already incorporated that. So everything is integrated by the in the beginning. You know, I think that a really tangible way of how maybe this next generation will start doing this in more ways than we are able to do this now is that, you know, I see a lot of conversations around what toys look like. You know, how are toys representative of people of 
all skin colors of people of all disabilities. You know, I see, I don't know, Barbie now comes in different shades. I see wheelchair options and such options for different toys. And I think that is bound to have an impact. So all that to say, maybe we don't need to build a whole new city, but maybe this next generation will build it for us. And this might be happening anyway. Yeah, this is Alex. And if I could add to that, really what's, what's when I think about building a city from, from scratch and um, that's, I, I really like this question because I think it's a provocative question that asks people to think about, you know, think about the different structures that, that they, um, you know, interact with and live in. Um, and really interrogate them and, you know, question if, if, if they need to operate this way or if they should operate this way, if it's not benefiting everyone. Well, maybe that's the point. Maybe that that's, those systems are built intentionally to bring, to, to keep people out and, you know, that needs to be questioned. Um, I think about a a joke that I heard um, first in an anti-racist transformation training that I did, um, that I did with advancing leadership, but just as an individual staff member, and it was actually facilitated by one of our members, um, funnily enough, uh, Derek Dawson, who does um, anti-racist uh, training all over Chicago and, and, and nationally as well. And the joke is that like two fish are swimming along and um, one fish, the, the fish turns to the other fish and says like, wow, the water's really warm today. And then the other fish says, what's water? And um, the point of the joke is that each of us are those fish, you know, swimming along, in water, some of us don't know that we're swimming in water because we're just a fish. Um, but then some of us reach a point where we start to wonder like, what is the water that we're swimming in and, and why is it warm? And why do, do, do some people live in, in, in why, do some fit, why are some fish in some areas and rather than other areas? And I'm going like really deep into this fish analogy, but <laughs> um, the, the point I'm, I'm trying to, to make here is that um, it's on each of us to come to that place where we can question the water that we live in. Um, and as a, a woman, a Latinx woman um, who identifies uh, as a person with a mental health disability, I think I also need to interrogate, you know, how I've benefited from the water that I've swimmed in and also how, um, what that means in my role in creating a better city for all of us, for the disability community, for um, the Latino community, for for women, for for everyone. And it, it brings to mind also the 
10 principles of disability justice, which I'm happy to send along um, to share with your audience and subscribers. Um, these, this was initially conceived um, by uh, three queer disabled women of color, um, Patty Byrne, Mia Mingus, and the late Stacey Milburn, um, to you know, move beyond disability rights and think of core, a core framework for analyzing how, analyzing the world and building a world that moves beyond rights and towards liberation for everyone, especially those who, whose identities exist at the margins and are intersectional. Um, in traditional rights-based conversations, I think that the founders felt that those intersectional um, identities were left out of traditional um, spaces. And how do we bring those in? Um, and it asks a lot of questions about like, what is what does community care look like? What does self-care look like? What does building a system where that is interdependent and not competitive and anti uh, what does it look like to build a system that's anti-capitalist and um, looks to value each and every individual, not by what they can produce, but by their inherent worth as an individual. It values people by, by what they bring to the table as people rather than what they bring to the table in terms of production. And I think that that shift in mindset has been really important for me in, in you know, and analyzing a bunch of, of the way that the world works. Um, because at, at the end of the day, it's about, you know, going to work, waking up, and being able to show up whole with my team, being able to show up whole when I go to a restaurant, being able to show up whole in every space that I inhabit, whether it be, you know, personal, professional, or civic. That was a long answer, but I hope it got to your point. <laughs> it did. So now we have the question that I've been asking all of our guests for the entire season. What are three books that you would recommend that people read? I'll start with uh, Risa. Or, or did you guys have the same three books? Sure, so we collaborated on a list. So I'll give a little beginning and then Alex will, will tie us off. But uh, I just personally enjoy Michelle Obama very much. Uh, and so I think her book, Becoming, is great. As podcast listeners, you might also enjoy the audiobook version. And she does the narration for the audiobook. So it's like a double pleasure because hearing her tell her own story. Um, I also really have enjoyed uh, Alex Wan's Disability Visibility, which is a collection of contributions from uh, various people of color with disabilities that I think is incredibly uh, relevant, and I relate to so much of it. So those are my couple of recommendations. Yes. Um, so my book recommendations are uh, The Pretty One, um, On Life, Pop Culture, Disability, and Other Reasons to Fall in Love with Me by Kia Brown. 
Um, we were lucky enough in early 2020 to have um, Kia on for an event with Advancing Leadership, and she was just lovely and um, personal and entertaining and phenomenal in so many ways. And so th this was her first book that she she published, um, and so that is on our list, our collaborative list of recommendations. And then my second edition that I just got in the mail yesterday, um, the last day of my birthday month in March is The Hill We Climb, an inaugural poem for the country by Amanda Gorman. I was, I like many people like across the nation was blown away by Amanda's poem and the poise in, in which the way she, you know, presented it at this unique moment in our history. And um, she identifies as having an invisible disability. So she is part of our community and uh, I am in awe of her art and her work. So that is my recommendation to our collaborative list. Well, thank you very much for that. And if people want to find out more about advancing leadership, uh, where can they go to? Yeah, this is uh, Alex, and they can find us online at ada25chicago.org. Um, that's the URL to our website, and we are on social media. Um, very active on social media. So follow us um, at ADA25 Advancing Leadership um, on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. And we have a medium. So go check us out on medium for a blog post by the same name. So we hope you will follow us and get engaged. And we thank you for your time. And thank you for your time. Ms. Risa and Alex, um, I really appreciate you being on the show. We learned a lot today. Thank, thank you. you. We enjoyed you, so thank you so much for the invitation. I want to thank Ms. Rifkin and Ms. Perez-Garcia for sharing their time and expertise with us today. In fact, thanks to a short conversation after the recording of this interview, I became aware with one question from my guests that my podcast was failing basic accessibility standards. That's right. You heard me co-sign everything that they said, even offering a critique of the government action during the pandemic. Even with all that, my own platform was not in order. My own actions were not aligned with my beliefs. By expanding the conversation around disability, we expand the conversation around how we should treat one another on a daily basis. Does that man who cut you off on the way to work have a mild case of claustrophobia? Is the woman ahead of you in line having a schizophrenic episode when she lashes out at you being too close? Is that child throwing a tantrum in the middle of a parking lot suffering from one of 7,000 rare diseases? Maybe, just maybe, 
if we want to have a better society? These are the questions we ought to ponder. Maybe. For more information on advancing leadership, go to www.mjgstorycreation.com and click the MJG Show button. If this episode made you think, please share it. But don't forget to like, favorite, or subscribe. Until next time, take care of each other. The M. Jason Graham Show is written and produced by M. Jason Graham. The theme was composed by Travis D. Artist. This has been the M. Jason Graham Show. I'm M. Jason Graham.